You are listening to Grit and Grace, where I'm sharing my entrepreneurial journey with you and bringing stories to you of the most amazing women that are crushing it in business and in life. My name is Tomberly, and I'm a social impact entrepreneur, where I help businesses grow their community impact and their bottom line through their partnerships with nonprofit organizations. I'm also the founder of Tomberly's Tribe, a brand new group of female experts that from all different fields are helping women grow to their highest level of potential. Join us on this journey by downloading the Himalaya app, which is free, and follow us so we can keep you up to date on all of the new shows that are coming out. Welcome to my show. Today's episode is brought to you by the Women's Catalyst Network, a leadership development program specifically for women to hone skills and advance in their careers. If you struggle to handle difficult situations and people while maintaining healthy relationships and productivity, then this is the place for you. Program alumni share that their experience gave them a heightened awareness of themselves and those that they work with and their decreased stress levels. They are more engaged and don't shy away from difficult conversations. The facilitator, Julie Holunga, who has been a guest on this podcast, has a passion for helping women succeed in their careers on their terms. The Women's Catalyst Network meets once a month from April to December in Denver. Go to womanscatalystnetwork.com. That's womanscatalystnetwork.com to find out all the information. Thank you for joining us for another episode of Grit and Grace. And I'm really excited today because not only are we going to be talking to two amazing women, but we're going to be sharing the story of what it's like when a company is truly invested in supporting their community. And we're going to talk about it from the community organizational perspective. And those of you that know me know that my company, Corporate Cause Agency, we spend so much time trying to shift the mindset for businesses on how they address their giving in the community. And this matters. It matters because when times get tight for a company that is just writing checks to nonprofit organizations, that's the first thing they're going to cut out when times are tough. And so what we do and what I believe in at the core of my being after 15 plus years in leadership positions in the nonprofit sector, I can tell you for sure that if a business creates a partnership with a nonprofit organization that truly, truly matches their values and they measure the impact on their own bottom line, which we're going to talk about today, when that happens, it's like this magical win-win between the corporate and the cause. And that's really where change starts to happen in the community. So today we're going to discuss just that. This is an example of where Floyd's 99 Barbershop and JDRF, which is the organization that funds research, advocacy, and expanding access to treatment for millions of people with type 1 diabetes. So I have Rachel and Hannah with me today. Thank you for joining me, ladies. Thanks for having us. Thank you. I mean, isn't it so impactful when we think about the fact that you guys have come together in a way that is meaningful, not only for the community, but for Floyd's 99 Barbershop as well? Because listen, I, I, I don't know where you guys were in your careers, but in 2008, when all of the market came crashing down and businesses struggled, if they did not have a measurable reason why they were giving to the community, it was the first thing that was cut. Yeah, I think that's pretty common just because 
sometimes companies lose sight of the value of having this partnership with a nonprofit and building that community basis. And really when times get tough, you want to lean on your community and continue to build that, that strong focus within the community and having these ties and that connection and that emotional connection that a nonprofit partnership can have can really help you get through a lot of those experiences. Right. And so that's Rachel we're hearing from. And so for those of you listening, um, Rachel and Hannah, I will ask you if you're addressing a question I ask to maybe just say this is Rachel or this is Hannah, just so listeners can, because they can't see you, mm-hmm. <laughs> so they can hear who is who. Um, okay. So I want to start, actually, I want to start with Hannah. I would like to hear more about the organization, like the impact that you make in the community, um, how long you've been with the organization and what brought you into doing some such amazing work. Absolutely. So JDRF International, formerly we were Juvenile Diabetes Research Foundation and actually changed our name because out of the 50% of newly diagnosed individuals, um, I'm excuse me, out of the newly diagnosed individuals, 50% of them are adults. So we mm. are no longer a juvenile focused organization. But 50 years ago, back in 1970, JDRF was founded by a pair of moms sitting around a kitchen table saying, we need a different future for our children. And so that is the future that JDRF works towards every single day by funding type 1 diabetes research and creating a true community. Um, Here in Colorado, we have almost $15 million of research funding, but JDRF has contributed nearly $2 billion around the globe in type 1 diabetes research. Really incredible. $2 billion. $2 billion. And and this is important to know because... The foundation of what you do relies upon the dollars that you bring in. And Correct. for those that work outside of the nonprofit sector, they see that just as, oh, well, you just ask for money. Whereas for you and I, who have this like strong nonprofit background, mm-hmm. we know that it's relationship building yes. and it is partnership building, yes. right? Yes. Facilitating relationships, providing support and resources to connect people to your mission work so that you can inspire them to give so that we can fund research. And it's interesting working for a nonprofit organization that funds research because research can be this very nebulous you know, what's going on, you know, research, what does that actually mean? So we've taken um, across the organization, but then especially here in my work in the Rocky Mountain chapter based in Denver, we're trying to really connect our donors and those in the community with those researchers, mm-hmm. seeing um, behind the scenes. And I truthfully was very disappointed when I went on my first lab tour and they were not scientists in white coats and there were no smoking beakers mm. and there was no you know, rats running around the lab. That was a little disappointing because that's what I had worked mm. up in my mind. So <laughs> once I got past that, it was pretty cool. <laughs> I mean, was there white lab coats anywhere? They didn't. None of them were wearing white lab coats. Wow. I so I, I, once I managed my expectations, it was a really inspiring experience. But it's just amazing that this is these incredible scientists and innovators and leaders in their field go to work every single day and they're changing people's lives. And it's uh, truly a a worthwhile way to spend um, your work day. And we've seen the intersections between type 1 diabetes and there's over 100 autoimmune diseases. So we're expanding um, the work of these researchers and Uh, promoting collaboration and encouraging um, work among 
uh, scientists in different countries, um, scientists working like international, on different disease, international yeah, work. Right, right. Yep. And even there's uh, some intersections with cancer. So a lot so of people. So tell me, in, in the United States alone, how what do you estimate the amount of people that are currently living with type 1 diabetes right now? Great question. There's 1.25 million people living with type 1 diabetes in the United States, and there are 29 million Americans who have diabetes. So that's inclusive of type 1 and type 2 diabetes. And then quickly give an overview of the difference, because I know when we first met, because you know I, I've, I had a, a chance to meet you guys already. We mm-hmm. said on a, on, a, on a panel which we'll talk about later. Um, but I was really curious to understand the difference between type 1 and type 2 because I myself didn't even know the difference. Yeah, it's a great question. So like I mentioned earlier, type 1 diabetes used to be called juvenile diabetes. It's no longer called that anymore, but it is truly an autoimmune disease. And so your body uh, starts attacking the insulin-producing cells in your pancreas. So you're no longer able to produce insulin, so you are required to take in insulin. So type 1 diabetes management, diet and exercise is a critical piece of it, but you do need to take insulin to survive. So there's pump technology. There's um, a lot of new types of technology that JDRF is bringing to market, which is very, very Mm. exciting. As we hear a lot in the news about the rising cost of insulin, JDRF is working um, to combat that. Um, At the government level, like correct. in terms of like lobbying? Correct. Yeah. Okay. Correct. At the national level, yes. And so people with type 1 diabetes are required to take insulin, but then they also spend their day managing their blood sugar and managing how things like food, things like the weather, exercise, stress impacts their blood sugar. It's constant management. We like to say that the original, uh, you know, when you're looking at a four-year-old who's been diagnosed with type 1 diabetes, they're a PhD level mathematician, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> they're doing, yeah. they, they're approaching their day in a different way. So then type 2 diabetes, um, we have a couple different stages. So pre-diabetes is a critical opportunity for the general American population because the type 2 diabetes, because diabetes is on the rise. Mm. So pre-diabetes can be reversed. Um, it is, you know, elevating, it's elevated blood sugar. Um, and then type two diabetes, uh, the body needs a little bit of help. It's not producing the right amount of insulin. So you can manage type two diabetes with diet and exercise. You might manage type two diabetes with an oral medication, but there are people who, um, have type two diabetes and are insulin dependent. So this is why when we go to the doctor, Mm -hmm. we fast, before right. we have mm-hmm. blood taken. Mm-hmm. And this is also because in our Western culture in the United States, we are one of the most unhealthy countries in the world, which mm-hmm. is why we see diabetes on the rise, right? And so I'm, in, I'm making a lot of assumptions here. And so if people that are listening, if you don't love this topic, um, too bad, um, turn it off because I believe in wellness and health. And I know that, you know, Americans, we are not always very good at moderation, health, and exercise comparatively to other countries in the world. Mm So I'm being very stereotypical, and and I mean no offense, but the the statistics and the data doesn't lie. Mm -hmm. Well, and it's interesting that you bring up um, some of the stereotypes because that's something that at JDRF, we combat all the time, Mm -hmm. right? Because people who, there's a huge difference between type 1 diabetes and type 2 diabetes. And so the individuals that live with type 1 diabetes, this autoimmune disease, because there's so much misinformation floating Mm -hmm. around, it's it's a dangerous thing when you Google, you know, diabetes and is there a diabetes cure? And so JDRF serves as that source of information to uh, 
keep to provide that. And hopefully I didn't just contribute to that because what I was referring to is your statement that type two diabetes, type two diabetes, there is the possibility to stop it from regret progressing during the prediabetes during stage. the prediabetes Correct. stage through health and um, by eating well and mm-hmm. exercising. And 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 truly that can also be a preventative mm-hmm. measure. Correct for so, other comorbid morbidities, exactly. right? Heart so that's that's yeah. specifically what I was talking about. Correct. So let's type go, two let's, diabetes. Yes. 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 No, okay. that it is important sure. to, t- yeah. to make that clarification. Gotcha. Mm-hmm. And type two diabetes is way more common. Is this correct? Correct. Yes. Yeah. So out of those 29 million Americans that are living with diabetes, only 1.25 million have type one diabetes. So both of my parents were diagnosed with type two diabetes. Okay. Um, and I remember going into my doctor for a physical, like mm-hmm. after they were both diagnosed and my, mm-hmm. my parents are divorced. Because you're at increased risk. Because I'm at mm-hmm. an increased risk now. Mm-hmm. Um, and she said to me that if you stay on your path and stay committed to the way that you live your life, we won't ever need to have this conversation. Mm-hmm. Good for and you. And I said, okay. Because, I mean, you both know I'm committed to my fitness goals. I, I'm very conscious of what I eat. And okay, so that... that that covers off that question because I think that a lot of people, if they have not had any experience with type 1 or type 2 mm-hmm. diabetes, they're not going to understand what it is we're refer- referring to. Right. So you primarily you primarily focus your research on type 1 diabetes. Correct. But we know that there are intersections with how JDRF benefits and impacts type 2 diabetes like I said, other autoimmune diseases and, and cancer research. But yes, we are a type 1 diabetes. We are the global philanthropic funder of type 1 diabetes research. Amazing. Yeah, love Very it. cool. Love it. <laughs> and so we have another lovely lady with us. Hello, Rachel. Hi there. How are you? <laughs> Good. We heard from you just a few minutes ago. And I would like for you to first start, how did you get involved with Floyd's 99 Barbershop? And then we'll talk a little bit about your partnership later. But I really think people should hear why you are so passionate about the work that you do for the company that you work for. Yeah. Um, before I started at Floyd's Barbershop, I was actually working at a marketing agency that was awesome and provided me an opportunity to work with amazing different brands and amazing people and really learned so much knowledge about the industry and marketing in general and overall business. And I felt like I got some really great experience there. So I was looking for a little bit of a career change and going brand side because it is very different. And as I was looking at some opportunities, I came across Floyd's Barbershop and it just seemed like a very natural fit when I went in and met the team. Um, Everything was very organic and it it allowed me the opportunities to really still focus on areas of work that I really liked within sponsorship, sports, Mm. on a national level, but also with a nonprofit partnership. In my background experience, one of my first internships I ever had was with a nonprofit, and it was some of the most valuable work I've ever done. Mm. And I've been lucky that through my experience, I've got to work on a, a quite a bit amount of nonprofit experiences, and they it's always the most fulfilled I've ever felt when I'm in my career is when I get to work on really cool things that help raise money for research and and benefits communities and really makes a true impact on your life and can I just stop you for one second right sure. there 
if every company recognized that this is how their employees feel when they do something in their company that is a part of something that impacts the community in a positive way. I mean, if you just if we could replicate what you just said to every single decision maker in every company that this is what your employees will feel yeah. like about coming to work when they do something really wonderful in the community. Yeah, it makes yeah. you want to get up and get out of bed every day and go to work because you selfishly you feel good about yourself mm. too when you're doing that and it's it's really nice to be able to feel that way and feel like yeah I'm working for a business which every business always wants to be profitable and and successful but also for a company that truly cares about people and it's not just about the bottom line all the time it's about more than that yes agreed and you have some history in running some very large events yeah yeah so we I've been able to work on some really cool events that have raised over a million dollars for our partnership with JDRF. We've been in partnership with them since 2012 and have raised over a million dollars with them. I've worked in the past with uh, Road Hockey to Conquer Cancer up in Toronto with the Princess Margaret Foundation. Shout out to another Canadian. Yeah, Canada. (laughs) (laughs) And um, that raised over $2.4 million um, the year that I was volunteering with it and that actually set a Guinness World Record which was really cool to to be a part of that and that experience um, and then I've done some some past events in Australia working with Cancer Council and they focus on cancer research um, because over 50% of Australians actually have cancer or get cancer at some point in their life. 50%? Yeah, they have a really high rate. A lot of it is skin cancer because the sun is so much stronger down there. Their ozone layer is deteriorated a lot faster than it is in other parts of the world. So they have a really high cancer rate. So it's a super important focus on them. And we did a lot of fundraising with um, in the athletic sector of their business, doing some, we did a city mile dash, which was a quick mile run for people, but allowed um, fundraising. I, I, this was in 2012, so I believe it was around $300,000, mm, but it amazing. was a really cool event and uh, awesome to see people get together and, and really try to focus on finding a cure for that as well. I love it. I love that you're giving such a good example of why businesses need to have partnerships. And um, and you're talking about it from an employee perspective, which is, to me, so indicative of what's possible, right? It's not just the bottom line of, you know, what is your reputation in the community? You know, how are you evaluating your brand awareness? It's not that. It's also your people. If your people are happy and they get fulfillment from their work, they're likely to show up and do you know, do better work, right? And, yeah. and and stay more committed and loyal. And I I often, when I do presentations around why this matters to a business to create a, a partnership in a community, I feel like it's really undervalued how important it is for employees to be motivated by something other than just what you're paying them to do. I think that's so true and something that I always look for in anything I'm working on is that passion and that connection outside of the business and what's going to make me want to continue to do to do this in the long term and and build that longevity in my career. Yeah. Well, a big kudos to Floyd's 99 Barbershop for being so open to building something so substantial because you're seven years into this relationship and I, I think it would be pertinent to know, like, how did it start? How did this organization match with this company? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so... I'm new to Floyd's. I started about seven months ago, but the background 
of how we kind of got into Floyd's initially was one of our owners, Paul O'Brien, his daughter was diagnosed with type 1 diabetes when she was 12 years old. And it seemed almost like a no-brainer at that point when when his world was shook up like that, he really wanted to get involved and find ways to to help find a cure and to help his daughter and, and the millions of people who are affected by this. And we see it so often in our Floyd's community that we have stylists and clients who come in who are also affected with type one. So it really lined up organically for the company to partner with JDRF. And, and that's how it all came about. Yeah. And Anna, would you like to add anything to that? I was just going to say that over seven years, the partnership between Floyd's 99 Barbershop and JDRF has raised over $1 million towards type 1 diabetes research. So It's amazing. That is so amazing. There's some incredible advancements that have happened over the past seven years and will happen this year and moving forward. And it's because of the million dollar investment in a, f- in a world without type 1 diabetes. That's exactly what they so, did. So let me ask you, Hannah, what... Outside of dollars, because mm-hmm. we know that for the work that you do, dollars matter. Right. We're not discounting dollars. To everyone, right? Rachel, to everyone. too. Yeah, <laughs> dollars matter. Yeah. Outside of that, what are some of the additional areas that Floyd's provides you? Absolutely. I think that the inter- a lot of the intersections that we see is to connect in the community and to use the JDRF platform to promote the Floyd's 99 brand and vice versa. The more people that we can share um, the warning signs of type 1 diabetes with, the more we're going to reduce the amount of people that go into diabetic ketoacidosis, DKA upon diagnosis. And that's a lot of the stories that you hear about people going into the ICU and then being diagnosed with type 1 diabetes, that they are in DKA. So it's... uh, an incredible opportunity for education for us. So, but you're talking public. You're talking specifically about public awareness. So, Absolutely. So, being able to right, mm-hmm. being able to utilize Floyd's locations, right? And because Rachel, how many of your locations are corporately owned, and how many do you have that are independently owned? Yeah, right now we have a total of 125 locations between corporate and franchise. We have 85 corporate right now and the rest remaining franchise, but that's continuing to grow. We've got a couple opening this year. So um, in the long term, in the next four years, we would like to see that be a bit more of a 50-50 split, but um, 125 growing altogether. And we give the option of our franchise locations to participate or not to participate in our campaigns. Um, And thankfully, almost all of them do. Right. And they see a huge benefit in it. And I think that's one of our biggest parts with working for a company that is franchise and corporate is showing those franchise locations the opportunities and the benefits of investing in partnerships like this. And and we see that it's successful for our corporate locations. So we want it to be successful for our franchise markets as well. And they're always really happy to do it and really exciting. We do a dedicated campaign every August with JDRF that whole month Um, We actually create these coupon booklets that you can purchase for $5, and it's a $35 value coupon book, so it's a really great deal, and all of those proceeds go directly back to JDRF. So that that month-long campaign is something that we've 
seen a lot of success in over the years of our partnerships and we'll continue to do it and continue to build off of it because it really does help with brand awareness. Uh, we see that it does bring back a lot of clients returning and new and it just helps us increase that brand awareness while also being able to provide fundraising opportunities for JDRI. Right. So there's this constant looking at what's the win for both. Mm-hmm. And and I think that I'm going to tell you guys, I don't know if that if if you have experienced this, you know, in your careers and the ways that you guys work together and collect and, and individually is that a lot of companies that I've spoken to about the type of work I do they have this feeling that, well, you know, I feel like I might be a little braggy, right? If I'm, mm. you know, if I'm, if I'm cross promoting, if mm-hmm. I'm pushing all my social media around the nonprofit that I support and yay, look at me, you know, pat on my back. And I, I say to them that, you know, the reverse of that is that if you don't share that, you are taking away the opportunity for all of your customers, vendors, partners, suppliers to also be able to support that organization. And it's not, it's not a, 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 it can have impact positively for you as well as the organization. And it doesn't take away from the impact you have on the organization by bragging. Right. It's okay to be proud of the positive things you do in this world and want to talk about it. There's so much negativity that goes on that's covered by the media and the news. And I think it's awesome if you're doing something great in the world and that has a positive impact on people that you should talk about it. And maybe you inspire other people to do more. And then overall and slowly over time, the world continues to just become it's a better not, place. It's not maybe, it is. Yeah. It does. Mm-hmm. I feel like we need to come up with a new hashtag that says, <laughs> where are you doing good? Like, yeah. yes. you know, stop the yes. negative feed. Like, post, and people post like something. hearing that. I yes. love hearing positive things, that good things that are happening in yes. the world. It gives me some hope. Yes. Yeah, right. And right. it's an expectation. It's an expectation from, you know, you mentioned earlier, Tyrelee, the employees, but it's also an expectation mm-hmm. from your your clients and consumers. Mm-hmm. They they expect that you are doing those things. And if you're just doing them for the warm fuzzies, warm fuzzies are not quantifiable. They're not quantifiable. <laughs> and remember when we were on the panel, I gave a percentage, and I don't remember it is what it is now, but I think that it was something like 65% mm. of, and this is from a Cone's, Cone communication study, so if I don't have it right, you can go look it up. But I think they said something like 65% of millennials would actually change brands of something that they I travel purchased. with my cone study. Oh, so I love it. She has it I'm here. Such a fundraising <laughs> See, I'm, nerd. Gonna, I'm just going to stop right there because <laughs> she's going to correct me. Um, and I want to go back to one comment and while she's looking that up, which is when I asked Hannah what other resources you provide other than dollars, I don't think that we can ever underestimate the value of the reach, right? Mm-hmm. So your customer reach, so if there's 120, 120 stores? Yeah, together? we have 125 locations. Locations. I called them stores. Is that the wrong yeah, thing? No, that's okay. We call them shops. Shops, Internally. Yeah. Okay, yeah. shops, yeah. So you have 125 shops. If you think about the amount of employees and customers that come into those shops that you are providing information about an organization that you're whether you're running a campaign or whatever you have going on at the time you are exposing them to information with a call to action that is actually that's that's probably not as measurable of an impact as some of the other things that you guys work on together but for you Hannah this is this is a massive public awareness opportunity for you absolutely 
Absolutely. And we take it outside of the shops too. We do some email blasts. We feature it on our blog. It's featured on our social media. So even if you're not coming into the shop during that time, we push it out on so many channels mm. that it, that reach goes even broader than just our clients and our employees. Mm-hmm. Do you have? Do you actually provide each other statistics on reaches? Like, do you do you complete fulfillment reports? Yes. I know I brought this up that JD- night, and I didn't know if you guys had or not. But JDRF does, and that is something that we work on in partnership with Floyd's Ninety Nine. It's what are those things that we are going to track and measure because. JDRF should not be defining those, right? And this is an, a core element of our partnership and why it's beneficial for both of our organizations is it should be in line with what, you know, Rachel works on the marketing team. So what are the metrics that the marketing team is looking to reach in the next six months to a year? And how can we track those and ensure that the partnership with JDRF is in alignment with those so that it's we're not making up these metrics of, we think that people feel good about your brand. You know, yeah. it's it's truly what, how are we driving business yeah. and, and actual. And we track that internally. One great thing about doing the coupon booklets is we're able then to see who redeems them and we can truly track the success of that campaign. And if we had to make adjustments, we can. We got to love it when you're in downtown Denver recording a podcast. And <laughs> near we a hospital. Wish, we wish, yeah, we're near a hospital. We wish who's ever in that ambulance to be okay. Yeah. We're going to take a short break to hear more about the Women's Catalyst Network, a leadership development program for women who are leading projects and people, yet feel like they are lacking the skills to do so effectively. If you struggle to handle difficult situations and people while maintaining healthy relationships and productivity, then this is the place for you. This small group coaching will put you in the room, not only with an experienced coach and female leaders, but also peers from diverse industries and levels of experience, all who are going through similar situations and can share in their experience and offer perspectives and insights. The Women's Catalyst Network will support you with a safe, high-level executive coaching during the once-a-month events in Denver from April to December. And listen, friends, the facilitator, Julie Holonga, is the real deal. I've worked with her, I've had her on this show, and I have seen firsthand the profound impact she has on a woman's confidence and knowledge on how to succeed. This is an opportunity to dive into the knowledge that you need to grow. You will walk away with so many tools for advancement. Check it out now as the cohort begins on April 16th. Go to womanscatalystnetwork.com. Now back to our show. Yeah, it's important because the thing is, is that for you at Floyd's, Rachel, what you might want out of this community partnership could be very different than another organization, another company's goals. And so that's why, Hannah, when you're saying that you let them drive what it is that that matters to them, I think Mm -hmm. that starts at the beginning of a partnership when you identify what is the strategic goals that the company has. Yes. And that requires a certain level of self-awareness that Floyd's 99 Barbershop obviously has, but a company has to have an awareness of their own value proposition, their own strategic goals, their own 
um, opportunities within HR, within marketing, however they are uh, developing this partnership, whatever's driving that, the company has to have that level of self-awareness before they even come into the partnership with a nonprofit organization. Now, if they don't, that's part of our job, right, is to ask the right questions. Or they and hire someone like me, right? Correct. Like, like, I mean, correct. I'll just yes, clarify. Yep, this you is, hire Taberly. But this is what they, I, yes. and that is what I do. Yeah. And I would say that a big chunk of the initial parts of mm-hmm. work with companies before they go into any partnerships and research what makes a good partner is identifying what they have done internally already. And sometimes in my case, that may mean if they do not have strategic goals laid out or they haven't done their vision and values, I refer that to someone else to bring in a specialist that can fill that section of the work. Because without that, it's really difficult to, to know like who matches your values if you don't right. know what they are. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. And what are your guidelines? What are, what are the guardrails for picking a nonprofit organization? Because are you just you know, go in, this could be a whole other. <laughs> I was going to say, I have that conversation a lot. Oh, and that's a hard conversation to have. It is. And you know, the thing is, is that I have, a, 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 I would say, a, probably a medium-sized group of nonprofits that I have verified, that uh-huh. that I work with closely enough, like yourself, Hannah, mm-hmm. that I would be able to say, okay, this is a this is a really good nonprofit in terms of how they manage their resources, their mm-hmm. leadership team is, mm-hmm. is on point, how they're going to support you in this mm-hmm. partnership, they are on board with that. The problem is there are a lot of really good causes out there and good organizations, but they don't love the idea of having to fulfill a different part of an agreement. So my my fellow colleagues in the nonprofit sector that don't love it when I say stop writing checks and start Mm -hmm. creating partnerships, Mm -hmm. too bad. Yep. (laughs) It's the only sustainable way forward. It is. Okay, let's see. What did you come up with in that Cohen's communication report? Did you find that 65% of millennials would change? I can't find the millennials. I I like it. I support it. I don't have the facts to back (laughs) it up, but I like that statistic. It's something something like 65% would change brands. Or service providers to a company that was making a difference in the community, that was giving back to the community. There are lots of, and there are, are a lot of statistics and data that talk about the next generation of workforce. Mm-hmm. And I'm, I'm not going to ask you guys to age yourselves, but I'm assuming you are slightly younger than myself, especially because today I think the people at the front asked you both if you were my daughter. <laughs> yes. So I'm pretty sure. We're, we're the hippest millennials we are, interacted yeah. with today. <laughs> Yay. We are, I'm a proud millennial. I yeah, think we get, we get a lot of hate, but I think we've done a lot of good in the world. No, but I what but what I like that millennials are bringing into the workplace is asking these questions. Like, I don't I don't want to just sit at a cubicle and do my work for nine hours and have no absolutely no emotional impact to the work I do. And not only that, they want to see the outcome. Mm-hmm. Like they want their fingers in it, and yeah. I think that that's amazing. And we like to challenge things, and I don't think we're challenging it to be difficult. I think. At least when I challenge things, I'm just trying to understand, like, okay, why are we doing this? Right. That makes sense why we're doing it. And it gives a new perspective to things. And it's also a great way to learn more about whatever you're getting involved in. Well, it's interesting, Tyrelee, that you brought up the emotion behind Mm. these partnerships, because that is a statistic that we've circled in our office, is that 72% of Americans believe that purpose-driven companies, which, like Floyd's 99 Barbershop, care more about them and their families. So it is such a personal thing, which is then affecting your purchasing decisions. Right. Yeah. And it kind of ties back into brand loyalty and just getting that community... and expanding on it and, and building that brand loyalty, which is what every brand wants. Right. So tell me, Rachel, from Floyd's perspective, like, do you do you guys participate in the conversation about this 
at all levels of your company or is this just something that falls into the marketing area like no, we do talk about it on a company level. I think, one, because it is so personal to our company. Um, two, we're a pretty small company in our home office. But it is something that we make a point to talk about when we're onboarding employees. It's been added into their onboarding process that understanding the partnership and why we do it and the, the value of it and the importance behind it. So that way we can re- get that out to all of our all of our employees at every shop at every level. Uh, and I think it, again, like it's important when we do our campaigns that we like to get the company involved. Um, so we do internal campaigns as well, not just in our shops, but in our home office, we extend that out to our vendors and our partners, uh, just to help increase our brand awareness and to make everyone feel involved in a part of the process and feel like they are contributing to the cause. Right. And so let me ask you this. If if you have an employee that isn't necessarily, you know, they, they might love the idea that you're doing something great in the community um, like you do with JDRF, but what if their passion is around, you know, uh, epilepsy or, uh, you know, I want to say animal rights or something like that? What if their passion is around that? Do you offer at Floyd's the opportunity for them to be able to do something outside of just these partnerships? Like, I don't know, do you offer like employee time off for it or will you do a matching program or? What we typically do is in terms of the marketing team is we allow, we allocate a portion of our budget to be spent on a shop level to give them the opportunity and the Mm. freedom to work with a cause that's specific to that community. So if we have... um, a, a cause in Chicago where... Like a school event like a or something. school event. Okay. Um, and, and that school we work really closely with. Then we allow them that freedom to kind of work, the district manager and the shops, to work with them on that level so we don't limit ourselves to which organization. We just, you know, we don't only just work with one. Um, and then that way it can also be impactful with that local community because... The U.S. is so different everywhere you go. L.A. is going to be different than Chicago. Chicago is different than Texas. So we don't want to put those restrictions that it has to be a blanket of this type of organization. So if there is a cause that is close to someone's heart and a district manager up in a different region, we allow them that freedom. um, And we just track that budget. And it's a little bit scaled back uh, for budgeting purposes, but we still allocate that every year. It's not the same level as your national partnership. Yeah. But I want to say, I think that that's important. And this is why I love what you're doing at Floyd so much. Because there needs to be room for both. Like I, I, I find typically in, in my work is that you can select one or two very good large partnerships to develop on a corporate level, but there are always going to be one-off, smaller ways to engage in causes that truly matter to the other to the to people that are involved. And I, I like the combination of them. And I also think that giving some discretionary decision making, you know, at the local level is so important. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I love I love it. I love it. Guys, listen, if you have not gone into Floyd's, you better find one near you after today because... <laughs> oh, they're so much fun to visit. I mean, but, but yes. and also, I've never been in. I've never been in. They're I mean, such do they a do fun female time. services? Yep, we do female services. Why I, do I thought... That, I mean, because it's barbershop. I guess barbershop is a little I got an tricky of a word. It looked you awesome. You did? I looked Can we, killer. Why are we not podcasting there? Right. 
Can oh. we like podcast? Can we do a podcast should, should like do on a live site? podcast because <gasps> the atmosphere do. is so great there. Let's do. Each shop has a poster wall that's custom to each location. So you'll see like local touches. If you go to Boston, you see like Dropkick Murphy posters. And if you go to cool. Michigan, you see like white stripes and um, things like that. So we, it's a, such a fun atmosphere. There's always music playing. We have a radio station that you can call in and request certain songs if you want to hear it during your appointment. But yeah, I get my hair done there. We've got some really great talent on a national level. Um, and okay, so let's let's put a blanket statement out here. The next time that you guys are running a joint um, campaign, whatever that is, call us and, and let us let us do some live interviews. And maybe we can even like talk to some employees and bring in some more mm-hmm. people from both sides. And we, we'll do that because I think that that would be fun. And I'm yeah, going to go in. Awesome. I'm going to go. I I'm going to go get my hair done there. Yeah, you should. There's one near where I live. Yeah, I go to the Broadway one, like right over down the street. Nice, nice. Um, Okay, so I'm back. I'm coming back to you, Hannah, for a second. I want to know: Do you have other partnerships like you do with Floyd's? Mm -hmm. And so, do you do you have to offer something exclusive to one and the other? How do you like? How does that work? Again, I I think it goes. I I hesitate to make blanket statements because each partnership should be unique, and so there should be an element of exclusivity to each partnership. Right. And it really starts with what are they trying to achieve? Why did they come to JDRF? What is it? Is it you know Floyd's ninety nine? We use as an example in developing other partnerships because they took the national partnership with JDRF and used it as a tool to build purpose into their workplace culture. And there are a lot of other organizations that are seeking to do that, but it we're all going to get there in a different way. And so it really is dependent on companies, and this is why this is so exciting, is we need more companies to be more aware of how to build purpose-driven, thoughtful, sustainable partnerships with nonprofit organizations. So if they come to the table prepared or if we, you know, they they hire a Taverly or they, you know, JDRF does the right discovery elements of our partnership and does the right learning steps and collects the right information, we can bring them along with us. But like I said, it really is identifying how they are going to meet their business objectives and then what is in it for JDRF. Because we've also done our own work, right? We have become much, much better at understanding our own value proposition and what makes us unique and what differentiates us and even clarifying how we support the uh, community that lives with type 2 diabetes. All of those pieces are very important for us to develop these partnerships. So whether it's a small business or a large national organization like a Floyd 99 barbershop, we try to meet people where they're at. It's interesting. There's a nonprofit organization on the West Coast that supports, that does research for childhood cancer. Mm. And I was recently having a conversation with them. Um, I did a little bit of work at the end of last year for them. Mm. And my my biggest goal for them is to really look inside and start evaluating mm-hmm. what they have to offer. Yes. Because it's it's often just underlooked, right? Yes. Even your own stakeholder circles, right? If you have a very influential board of directors, your stakeholder circle is very, very powerful. Mm-hmm. And involving them in the process on what you have to offer, more than just tweets and posts and newsletters right. and logos. I mean, right. we're talking way deeper than that. Yeah. Yeah. We're, we're digging way deeper <laughs> than that. Um, there's an, a company 
company that um, I did some work with last year, and there was a particular person on their leadership team that had like this really like bucket list of introductions, and I happened to know one of the people that they wanted to meet just in their oh life gosh. that they just like an idol that they yeah. just wanted to meet, and we literally built a relationship around just make making that happen mm-hmm. because we built the relationship. Yep. And I That's what it comes back to always, back right? To, the relationship. Yeah. So, okay, so let's take this in kind of a general direction now. If someone is listening to the show and works for a company or owns a company that wants to become more purpose-driven, let's let's hear your best advice from the perspective of the nonprofit and the perspective of the company. How would you suggest they get started? I would say the first step is to figure out what is important to you and what your company values are. From there, you can kind of decide what avenues you want to take, if you want it to be a national campaign, if you want to start out as a regional campaign and grow from there. I think the most important thing is is picking a partnership that aligns with your values. So if you, yes. you have a clear mission statement and a clear company value, then that will kind of help point you in the right direction of where you need to go or where you want to go. And then you need to think about this, the scalability if you want to scale this, if you want to keep it on a, a small level, if you want to make it just digital, if you want to start going into events, kind of planning out, I would say, almost like a five-year goal where you see the partnership going. Um, and then that way you can kind of start building in those sectors. If, if you want it to be an in-shop campaign like we do, or if you want it to be a large event that happens within the community. Or maybe a multitude of, maybe a combination. Or a combination of both. And I would say now a combination of both is really easy with everything being very digital. Mm -hmm. That's always a great aspect to add into any event that you're doing just to increase that awareness and that reach. But most importantly, I think your value just needs to line up with that partnership. And that's how it kind of grows organically. And that's one of the best things about working with JDRF is, Everyone that works there is really awesome, and Hannah and I get along great. And so hire good people. So hire, right. hire people, good people, right? Because hire, find hire, good people. It's yes. fun. You want to work with them more, and mm-hmm. it's an enjoyment. And listen, I want people listening to know that Rachel is the marketing manager for Floyd. So you're you're getting like you're getting really good, knowledgeable expertise from someone that is in the trenches, doing the work, has done the work for a long time, and knows where like where the impact truly can be on a company's bottom line. And so I, I, I feel like you could be, Rachel, like the poster child for why companies need to oh, be purpose-driven mm-hmm. because you're, you're in it, you're doing it, and you're also measuring the results. Yeah, and you want to make sure whatever you're doing, you can measure the results as right. best as possible because you want to see if it, there's a good return on your investment. And, and if not, it, just do some tweaks to, to make that. And I think one thing about any, any event or campaign that you're going to do, you want to make sure it makes sense with the community that you're in. For example, in Canada, everyone loves hockey. So we did a massive road hockey tournament and people love coming out to that stuff because it makes sense. So it just, it has to have that flow where it organically happens and that community resonates with whatever you're doing. Yeah. All right. So Hannah, how, how would you how would you like to see that approach started for a company that wants to become purpose-driven from a nonprofit perspective? Absolutely. Well, all the things that Rachel said. <laughs> I think a couple of things that she brought up is, um, you know, ease of implementation, right? So 
doing that internal work, it's almost like going going to company therapy, right? And and really <laughs> breaking <laughs> it down. Yeah, I like that. I <laughs> so like company that. therapy session. Really and hire good people. Exactly. After you've hired the good people, yes. Um, and then really one of the key elements of developing developing a partnership that JDRF takes time to do is coming up with a partnership purpose statement. And that's where, just like Rachel mentioned, you can see the mission statement of, you should be able to see the mission statement of the nonprofit organization and the company reflected. So in one sentence, how are you defining the work that you're doing together? And is everyone's mission reflected so that together we're achieving something bigger than in this case, Floyd's 99 by themselves or JDRF by ourselves could ever accomplish. And that's an important element. That's a, I that's love a it key so much. step. I love it so, mm-hmm. so much. That's, that's great. Mm-hmm. I think I'm going to get a tattoo on my forehead that says, please create partnership purpose statements. Partnership purpose statements. I'm going to add that. In everything. Yeah. Yes. So I manage a a team of um, fundraisers at JDRF Development Professionals, and we have a team partnership purpose statement, right? As a team, what are we seeking to achieve? So we came to develop this with all of our individual um, purpose statements and brought them all together. And uh, my boyfriend has asked that we please not do this activity at home, but <laughs> I think it would be perfect. I totally think you should. I'm, I'm going to I'm gonna take that back to all my relationships. Can we please create a partnership? What is, I forgot. Already. Partnership purpose statement. You can see, you should be able to see statement. everything reflected. And it, yes. it's a good way to, and it, it can change, right? Yes. It, and it really, it should change as the business grows and priorities change. But it's a good way to keep coming back to, are we achieving what we set out to do? Mutually. Correct. That's the part. Is that mutually? And that's ease of implementation is such an important piece, both for corporations and nonprofits. I see a lot of times companies who want nonprofits to create a new event or a new program, but that comes back to the nonprofit organization also being very confident in their value proposition to say, we're not going to spend staff resources, which are always so limited across nonprofit organizations, coming up with something new. Instead, we're going to figure out how to integrate what you're seeking to achieve in our scope of work, in our um, baseline activities. And that's that's a key element. But again, it's I hate to keep repeating well, this over the and work. over. But uh, the it, nonprofit yeah. has to do the work. I mean, the truth is the nonprofit has to be able to deliver on their Correct. side of this agreement. And Set this, yourself up for success. Right. And this is part of why you've heard me say a couple of times that I, I know that my, my opinion and your opinion on how nonprofits should be fulfilling their part of the partnership isn't necessarily the norm. So when companies are looking to create this type of you know, deep, impactful partnership, it does take some vetting. It takes it some does. time to research and find yeah. the right partner. And, and it does And education. And education. We've right. gone back to longtime legacy partners and re-educated them on this process. And they're more engaged than ever, but we did have to bring them along and work with them to talk to their, like I basically went on a listening tour for them, right? Talking to marketing, talking to HR, understanding priorities, and then helping them to bring that together. And that's not a necessarily a quantifiable outcome. So I'm sort of talking out of both sides of my mouth, but that was a key piece in building that relationship so that we can deepen the partnership. Mm. Yeah, Everything should be done with intent. Yeah, I love that. 
Okay, so Rachel, how can people find where a local Floyd's is if they want to come in and see Floyd's? And now, especially because they know the impact they have in the community, how can they find you? Yeah, so you guys can find us online um, at floyds99barbershop.com. We have our Instagram, which is Floyd's Barbershop, and our Facebook. And then we've recently relaunched our YouTube channel. Um, and so we're redoing that. We've got some really cool content pieces coming out. We've launched our Amplify series, which is a really cool content piece that focuses on really cool people that are doing different things in the community. It's not necessarily mm-hmm. focused on, not on just hair. hair. Yeah. Um, but hair is pretty good. But I hair is pretty hair. good. And it, we do bring them into the shop and where we film it, but it's it's all different aspects. Um, we've got a new YouTube series coming out called The Herald Hair Hacks, and that teaches you just different hair tips, like boys should be blow-drying your hair, mm. <laughs> um, how, to, how to blow-dry your hair successfully, and we add some humor in there, so it's not just a... Here, this step by one, step by two. Um, they're really funny short videos that you should watch. So check us out on YouTube. Yeah, and that's below in the show notes. So whatever app you're listening, we're going to put the link in there for you to follow right to the YouTube channel and to the website. Yes, and you can you can also walk into any shop. So we don't limit our appointments to online or call ahead. So if you are just kind of running late one day, we need to get a quick haircut, run into the shop. Walk-ins are always welcome. Um, and it's just a really fun environment. So definitely would love for everyone to check it out. Awesome. And so for those of you listening, if you have not been to Floyd's and you know that there's one in your area and you would like to give it a try, we we could hook you up. So send me a message. You know where I'm at. You can find me on any of the email addresses or lists or links below. And we will definitely make sure to get you into the right place because I don't believe that we're able to offer you a discount code um, here, but we can um, send you an email. And so if you contact us, we will put you on the email list and you will get something special yeah the best way for us to do that just to make sure that we can always track everything is to do email so uh yes definitely if anyone's interested and would like to get hooked up with a little discount code if you can provide your email then we will send some treats your way that would be absolutely amazing and i'm also going to put rachel your contact information which is your linkedin page is going to be listed below because your last name is ring r-a-n-g so rachel ring so people can stay in touch with you as well if they'd like to learn more about your expertise in marketing and how you got to where you are because really this connection of what you've made here is going to carry you through maybe a really long time at Floyd's hopefully a long time at Floyd's yeah I hope so and if anyone is interested in hearing anything more I have to say um, you know I find it interesting but not sure if everyone always does (laughs) feel free to reach out and I'd love to love to talk and and meet up and then Hannah I'm not going to pronounce your last name Hogan Boom. Hogan Boom. I mean, I just really want to say... Any effort is appreciated. Yeah. I, I, mean, I just want to say boom. Like, yeah, there's that's boom. That's okay. You yeah. boom in your yeah. last name. <laughs> I know. <laughs> Went by Boomer. High school soccer. Oh, boomer did? was did? Yeah. Oh. Yeah. Which is just an easy one. It right? is. Yeah. I like it. Can I call you Boomer now? I like or it, Or you kind of pass that? We'd like, we want to call you... I'm fine with it. <gasps> Rachel, we're going to call her Boomer yeah. from now on. Boomer. I'm going to... Yeah, there I'll we go. I'll send a note to JDRFHR and ask them to change my email address. <laughs> I'll get on that right after this. How can people find out how to get involved with JDRF and, and, and what is it that you need the most right now from people that are listening? Yes. I would love for every single person listening to go to JDRF. I would love for every single person listening to go to JDRF.org. 
connect with your local chapter, learn about type 1 diabetes, learn about the warning signs, because the more that you know, and Rachel can even speak to this, but the more that you learn about type 1 diabetes, the more you realize how many people in your circle are already impacted. Um, And like I shared earlier with the Um, with autoimmune diseases on the rise and with the number of autoimmune diseases that are also impacted by the research work that JDRF does, there's really no one that's not impacted by JDRF's mission work. So please visit and get connected. You can search for your local chapter on JDRF.org as well. Uh, JDRF chapters have a variety of free events, really engaging education events. Here in Denver, we have our Type 1 Nation, which is a free all-day summit with different learning tracks for wherever you are in your Type 1 diabetes journey. And it's an all-day event, totally free, lunch provided. So that's coming up February 29th, Leap Day. Love it. I will put all of the information on how people can get involved, how they can search and find a local chapter, and also your social media handles. Because we know as nonprofits and and for the corporate side that one of the ways that we reach the most people is by through our social media. So follow, like, share, get involved, you know, get into the communication. And most importantly, for those of you listening, go follow the example that these two set on what it's like to be a company that is really in it for their bottom line. Let's let's not let's not kid ourselves. A business are in it to to make money. That's the point of the business. But they're doing it with a way that has purpose that also greatly impacts an organization that um, impacts the entire world, really. So I'm really thankful for both of you and for thank you for joining me. And ladies, this is a pleasure. Yeah, thank you thank for having you so us. Much. I love so excited. So cool. I loved it. It's so fun. <laughs> yes. It's so fun. I can and finally say I have a face for radio. Yeah. <laughs> and it means something. <laughs> Listen, you have a face for video. Let's create that. Let's correct that. And and you both also present such compelling uh, and passionate work that I'm just honored to be able to share your story. So thank you so much. Thank you for having us. I feel so lucky to do it. Thank you. Yay. Friends, don't forget to visit the Women's Catalyst Network to learn more about the amazing leadership development opportunity. And if you are outside of Denver, contact Julie Holunga to learn more about an upcoming virtual program later this year. Or if you want to work with Julie one-on-one for executive coaching, and she is amazing, feel free to contact her. You can find all the details at womanscatalystnetwork.com. We hope you enjoyed the show. Hi, my name is Les Conley, and as producer of this show, I enjoy listening right along with you. Don't forget to download the Himalaya app and follow Grit and Grace so that we can keep you up to date on all the exciting shows coming your way. Please check the show notes for links to our guests and feel free to contact us for more information. Taver Lee is a social impact entrepreneur, and she can be found at taverlee.com. That's T-A-H-V-E-R-L-E-E.com. We know your time is extremely valuable and we appreciate you spending it with us. Thank you.